And we're going to really believe God for something good this morning because we've got an important topic in our series, The War, Living Life on the Front Lines. And so let's just do some recap and then we'll get into what we're going to talk about today. But we've been dealing with this idea of fighting the good fight and the spiritual battle and the fact that we live day by day, year by year on the front lines of the spiritual battle. And so how do we live? How do we do that? And uh, we've got the two major fronts that we battle on. We've got the eternal life in heaven front. We want to share Christ with as many people as possible so that they can receive forgiveness of sins and everlasting life. Because what a tragedy it is to miss out on that and get the other alternative. We want everyone to know Christ and have eternal life. But we also fight for abundant life in this world now. And the two work together. If we're able to receive the fullness of what God has for us, we're more effective in serving the kingdom for eternity. And we're, it just works so much better. So we want to win on both fronts. And we've covered all kinds of different things. The last couple of weeks, we've been talking about uh, the armor of God. And so we talked about the defensive parts of the armor two weeks ago. Last week, we talked about the shoes and the sword of the spirit. And so we embrace both intellectual understanding and moving in the Holy Spirit. Because if we understand all kinds of things about God, but we haven't engaged in the Holy Spirit, it's like understanding a whole bunch of things about swimming, but never have jumped in the pool. You know, you've got to get in the pool. You can explain all the different things and talk about all the different things about swimming. But until you've done some swimming, you don't really know what's going on. It's the same thing with the things of the Spirit and the things of God. And so one of the verses we read talked about praying in the Spirit on all, all occasions with all kinds of different prayers and requests. Praying for the saints And we've got an opportunity on November 7th, which is the first Monday of November, at the uh, River of Life Church, the Wood City Worship Event, uh, Monday night from 6 to 8, prayer and worship, which is the day before the election. And so might that be a good day for God's people to come together and pray? So River of Life on Carlton Avenue, 6 to 8, November 7th, the day before the election, Uh, man, our nation needs some prayer. And we need to be who we're called to be so that we can be there for our neighbors and for our nation. So if you're going to be available on November 7th in the evening from 6 to 8, go to the Wood City Worship event at River of Life here in Cloquet. Uh, And then last week we just finished up with God's ultimate weapon is love. When we are in the midst of all this difficulty, we've got the trump card, which is love. And so I encourage you, use that ultimate weapon liberally. Share it with your friends. Share it with your family. In fact, love your co-workers and your neighbors and your enemies. Just use that weapon as much as you possibly can. All right, this week we're going to talk about morale, the morale of the troops. And so let's pray and we'll get into new material this morning. So Heavenly Father, I do thank you for this day. I thank you, Lord, for this moment. 
I pray, Lord, you would give us a holy moment, a time where we connect with you and something special from you happens. And so, Lord, I pray by your spirit that you would just bless this time and that you would be with each one of us as we're all dealing with different things and we need a different touch from you. I know that by your spirit, you can do that for us. So, Lord, help us to to grab hold of you, to see you more clearly, to serve you a little bit better and to take a step forward this morning. So bless our time. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Are there any morale issues in the body of Christ? Morale is your attitude, it's your enthusiasm towards the battle, it's your belief in the purpose and the point of what's going on. That's morale. Are there morale issues in the body of Christ? There can be challenges of morale with regards to our relationship with God, our relationship with church, our relationship with serving God and ministry things that we're doing. You know, there are times where we're just connecting with God and it's wonderful. There are other times where our relationship with God might, you know, be fading or be strained. And and there are times where our connection with church is great. And there are times when our connection with church is bad. There are people that love Jesus with all of who they are and they have no trust in the church whatsoever. There can be reasons for that. And then there's our relationship with serving God and our morale based on the things God has asked us to do. And there just are lots of important things in dealing with morale because if we keep our attitude right... We're in great shape. If our attitude is bad, we're in trouble. This is true individually, it's true corporately. If as a big group of people, we're all excited and on board with what God is doing, then God's going to be able to do all kinds of wonderful things. But if we're all kind of cynical and hesitant and, you know, not so sure, like, like with the uh, Team Extreme guys coming, you know, It's so much fun to see cool things happen for the Lord, but churches get tired and they don't want to step out and take on the financial responsibilities and try to recruit volunteers and all this stuff. And it just gets wearing. So if morale is good, God's things go forward. If morale is bad, boy, it's hard to get the troops going. Let's read Uh, some sections of scripture from Romans and Philippians to see where our attitude should be, how we should view things, where our minds should be. We're going to read several verses from Romans 12, and most of them have to do with attitude and morale and our heart condition. And so this is a powerful chunk of scriptures in Romans chapter 12, just you know, to me, it's like a, just a tight boxing match with a lot of uppercuts and just really, really strong things in Romans 12, starting in verse 9. Love must be sincere. Amen? I hear people say love is a choice. And I think love involves choices. But it's deeper than that. What if I was to say to my wife... You know what? I'm really not feeling it, but I choose to love you. How far would that go? It's just not quite going to do it, is it? Um, So we need to cultivate a real love between each other, a real love for God, 
It's there to grab hold of, but sometimes we have to walk through different things to be able to get there. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. The big danger here is misunderstanding what's evil and what's good and what we fight for and what we fight against. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. In Western, in the Western world, we're all rugged individuals, you know. But in the scriptures, we're a group. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. We are to be connected with each other, love one another, be there for each other, encourage and strengthen one another. If we're going through trials, we're there to support. If we're having victories, we're there to encourage and to celebrate. Be devoted to one another. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Never be lacking in zeal. Have you ever been lacking in zeal? You know, there's times you just run out super excited and then all of a sudden you run out of steam and you're lacking in zeal. <laughs> you know, and that spiritual fervor thing can, can ebb and flow. Verse 12, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Man, what a wonderful heart condition. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. I really like this verse because of the the second statement. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. You know, like there's something to avoid. You know, because I don't know if you're tempted to do this in your prayer life, but you're praying for your obnoxious boss or whatever it is. And and, uh, you're just like, Lord, I just pray that your hand of peace would be upon that rotten, worthless sword. You know, and, you know, because boy, does he really need it because he's got this and that, you know, bless and do not curse. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. Part of having the right attitude and having our, our heart life right isn't about pretending that everything is fine when everything isn't fine. It's about being real. We want to see the right things, but at the same time, rejoice with those who rejoice. You know, don't be jealous of people when things are going well in their life. And mourn with those who mourn. Don't force them to be over their mourning process before their time. Just go ahead and feel it with them and be there with them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. We are called to be people of peace and to minister the gospel of peace. I think these verses are are succinctly put together in Philippians 2.5. Philippians 2.5 says this, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. This is the verse that will keep all of us busy for the rest of our lives. 
Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Imagine if we put this into practice. Imagine if all the believers around the world who called themselves Christians had the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. Oh man, this world would be changed. So we need to have a right heart, a right attitude, the right morale. Now there are things that build morale. There are things that break morale. Let's talk about some morale builders. And these are things that can apply to our relationship with the Lord, our relationship with church and God's people, and our relationship with serving God, as well as just life in general. But these are the, I think those three things are, are somewhat significant as far as they can be separated out. You can have a great relationship with God and your ministry life is falling apart. You can have a great experience with church, but maybe you're fading from God. You know, these sorts of things, they're, they're all independent of each other, though they're interrelated. Our relationship with God, our relationship with church, and our relationship with serving God, entering into various ministries of all kinds of different kinds. Morale builders. There are tangible gains. When you see something coming together, it builds morale. We just finished the church edition. We get to go in there and use the kitchen and eat food and have a great time. And the kids get to go downstairs and play. You know, they used to be right out that window. And we would hear them every service. And we'd say, isn't it great to have kids in church? And now they're down the stairs and round the back and over there. And I don't even know they're there. You know, this is, it's, it's fantastic. And so it's a morale builder. We talk about, we're going to build an addition. And then we actually build it. And now it's done. You know, those tangible gains are fun and exciting. They build morale, build momentum. You know, people get saved. We've been having people getting saved up at the front. The prayer teams are starting to tell me the stories of things that are happening. And I tell you what, good things are going on up in the front after church is over. Good things are happening. People getting baptized. You know, we had our biggest baptism in uh, August. All kinds of people getting baptized. Was it 29? I forget the number exactly. Anyway, anyway. the 34? 34. Yeah, 34. See, isn't that fantastic? You know, like God doing stuff. It's just exciting. There are things that other momentum and morale builders are being involved in purposeful projects, seeing things get done. Some people need to see a, a mission and a purpose. The New Vision Children's Home in Christiana, Jamaica, will be going there in January. I think we've got 15 on the team going to Jamaica. Very excited about that. This time, we're going to be clearing farmland. They've got 30 acres, and about 20 of it is just jungle. And we can tear that out, start planting yams, and be able to fund the children's home. It only takes about $2,500 a month. Right now, because the government subsidizes some of it there, the Jamaican government, $2,500 a month will pay for a director, four direct care staff, a cook, uh, a maintenance guy, and all the food, supplies, utilities, and everything for the home to be running. And if they can get that out of the yams, then we're doing great. Because right now is not the time to... Bring aid. You know, you bring aid in an emergency. But in regular times, you help with development. 
You know, you need to develop into being self-sustaining and having it function right. And so right now we're helping with development. We're not just going to bring a bunch of candy. We're going to help them be able to provide for themselves. And so it's a purposeful project. You see something come together like the water storage tank that we did the last time. Maintainable, sustainable water source. Fantastic stuff. Get involved in those things. You see them happen. Morale builds. There's answered prayer. A healing happens. A provision miracle happens. Somebody gets peace in the storm and walks through a trial in their life with joy. Man, these are momentum builders. Spiritual growth happens. I was talking to a lady after the second service and something that God started in her 30 years ago, God is completing now. It's a healing process she's been going through. And when somebody goes through that and and they're just excited that God is seeing them through to the other side, hallelujah for that. I mean, it's an emotional, spiritual healing, not a physical healing process. And so hallelujah for that. These are things that build morale. There's great relationships that happen in small groups and with friends and mentors in the church. Huge stuff. Isn't there some exciting things going on to be able to be full of excitement and energy for the things of God? But in the body of Christ, there's also morale busters. Are you, <laughs> how many people have had experiences that have caused them to become discouraged in their walk with Christ? Man, I tell you what, there's morale busters, there's conflict, there's hurts. Problem people, bad leadership, internal injustice. There's conflicts in church and between believers that can break morale down. There's unanswered prayer. I love answered prayer where God does a great miracle and we all get to shout. Sometimes it doesn't go how we want it to go. And people can be hurt and be disillusioned with God and God's promises. There are times where we step out in ministry and we see failure, we see burnout. Try to get something going, it doesn't work. There's even, some people think serving God is boring and pointless. Do you know that? It's it's unbelievable. You're missing something if you think it's boring and pointless. Here's the deal. If you think that faith in Christ is boring and pointless, get off the bench and get into the game. Because the game is not boring. I would say it's overwhelming maybe, but it's not boring. It's a battle. It's a war going on. And we're right in the middle of it. And there's bombs going off. And man, oh man. But there's all these morale busters. Now, in, the, in this battle, I am glad that we get to believe for abundant life now. You know, when I was a new Christian, you know, there's always these things you need to understand and learn and revelation from God you need to get to be able to see things clearly. And I didn't understand that abundant life now was part of the picture. I thought it was sacrifice now, give up everything now, lose who you are now, Because we get everlasting life later. And now there's a piece of that. But the promise of John 10.10 is in there too. And here's what it says in John 10.10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. 
I have come, Jesus says, that they may have life and have it to the full. God wants us to have life and have it to the full. Life more abundantly. And it's part of grabbing hold of everlasting life and sharing everlasting life. They work together. And I didn't realize that. And so it was a big hindrance for me because I had basically an understanding which I consider to be the misery gospel, which is, again, we just suffer and fight and fall and we're weak and we have no resources because God's going to rescue us later and it'll be fantastic. But guess what? Then you don't build a building addition. Then you don't get to have awesome children's ministry. Then you don't get to build water storage tanks and support orphanages in other countries. You don't get to have missions conventions and get things done. I'm glad we get to have abundant life now. Because then we are effective and productive in our service to Christ. And it's way more fun. You know what I'm saying? Way more fun. So let's grab hold of abundant life so that we can be more productive in our service to Christ. Now, of course, there's a greater purpose in life than uh, enjoying life. Amen? There's a greater purpose in serving God. And we are certainly strong enough not to be slaves to our own comfort and our own happiness but we understand that success and doing things well and reaping the blessings of God is part of God's plan. So if morale is low, what can we do besides just grit our teeth and try harder to have a better attitude? Because that just doesn't work that well for very long. You know what I mean? Like the whole idea of just have a better attitude. Well, okay, that works for a little while, but we need to reorder our thinking and understand how to go forward in the right ways. The Bible gives us some real clear, very helpful uh, ways to adjust our attitude. And so let's talk about two specific situations and then we'll get general at the end. So a couple of things that can cause morale problems in the body of Christ are church conflict and Ministry trials, church conflict and ministry trials. Have you ever been involved in church conflict that took the fun out of it for you? It's just no good. How do we deal with church conflict? Now, I'm going to make an assumption here. I'm going to operate under the assumption that you're dealing with a reasonably healthy church culture and halfway decent leadership. If those things are missing, then these scriptures do not apply. If you've got a toxic church culture and dark, bad leadership, just get out of there. Right? That's a problem. That's not the gospel. That's something else. And so get out of those environments. But guess what? Every church is imperfect. Every leader is imperfect. And so all the people in church are imperfect. So there's going to be conflict. And so how do we manage that? How do we deal with that? It's an issue that came up that was dealt with in Philippians chapter 4. We're going to spend some time in there this morning. Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 2, let's describe the problem. Personal conflict. I plead with Yodia and I plead with Sinchi to agree with each other in the Lord. So these two ladies were having a problem in church. It got to Paul and it made the Bible. Have you ever had your name in the paper? You know, 
or maybe one of your kids did something and they won the science fair and they got their name in the paper and you're all excited. What if you got your name in the Bible? Wouldn't that be something? But you know, there's different ways to get your name in the paper. And there's different ways to get your name in the Bible. And these two ladies got their name in the Bible because they were fighting with each other. They had personality conflicts. And so Paul deals with it. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, to help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. So these ladies, they're warriors for Christ. And they're still having conflict with each other. Help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So Paul isn't saying they've lost their salvation. You know, they're on the outside because there's conflict. There's just conflict. And people need to work together because it takes the fun out of it. How do we deal with conflict? Verse 4 gives a great strategy. And it says this, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. So this is said in the face of conflict in church. Rejoice in the Lord always. Even when you don't like so-and-so that comes to the same church as you. Rejoice in the Lord. And Paul says, I will say it again. (laughs) Just in case you're not catching it. Rejoice. This is a strategy for getting our attitude right. I said earlier that love involves choice, but it's more than a choice. Worship involves choice, but it's more than a choice. Rejoicing involves choices, but it's more than a choice. We can choose to go to the places that build up our faith in God, build up our ability to rejoice, build up our capacity to worship God, or we can focus on other things. Let's keep reading. Verse 5, 6 and 7 are interesting, especially 6 and 7. We read those not too long ago. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, Present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Did you know the context of these verses was internal church conflict between people? Interesting. That's where the anxiety is coming from, is internal personality conflict. And then we get to verse 8. I, I endeavor, I ask God to give me something each week that if people would actually put into practice, it would change their life. That's what I ask God for. And here it is <laughs> in verse 8. All right? Verse 8. Finally, brothers, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. This will change the way you see the world if you put this into practice. 
because there are more options than just looking at whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, or praiseworthy. There are other things out there that can take our attention. Is that right? The negative things can be more interesting. They can draw our attention more quickly. That's why the news is so negative. That's why there's, you know, there's all these things. It's easier to be drawn into a disaster than it is to be drawn into a feel-good, happy story. But what Paul is saying here in Philippians about conflict in church is you have to choose to look at the right things. That person has something good about them. There's something noble there. There's something excellent there. Look for it. Pay attention to it. That's the choice part. Then the attitude will start to change. Then the way you see the world will start to change if we apply this to a variety of different areas. We can choose what we focus on. You know, we don't get to choose what flashes through our mind. But we get to choose whether or not we stay there. This is a story I heard some years ago. And it it deals with the idea of taking control over our thought life. And here's the story. So there's a young father. And he is... Raising his family, he's trying to provide for his family, and he's got a job that's really very, very difficult. But it does provide for his family, but it's a, it's a big stress on him. It's very difficult. It wears him down, and he has trouble coming home. And so when his daughter's really little, he goes out. When he comes home from work, he goes up to a tree in the front yard and just touches the tree a bunch of times and then goes in the house. And then in the morning when he goes to work, he goes out, out the door and goes up to the tree and touches the tree a bunch of times and gets in his vehicle and goes to work. And as the years go by, the girl grows up and when she's old enough, she's noticing her dad every day. When he comes home from work, he's touching the tree. And every morning when he leaves, he's touching the tree. And she's like, Dad, what are you doing? <laughs> Why do you touch the tree when you come home? And why do you touch it when you leave? And he says, well, you know, I, I take very seriously my, uh, my responsibility to take care of the family. And I've got a job that's pretty difficult. There's a lot of stress and a lot of problems and a lot of difficulties. And so when I come home, I go out to the tree and I just hang all my problems and the things that are going on up on the tree. And I leave them on the tree then I come in the house and so I can spend some time with you. And then in the morning, I go back out, I pick them up, <laughs> and I go to work. But in the morning, there's always a few less than there were the night before when I hung them out there. And that's a picture of ordering our thoughts to keep our attitude in the right place. And so we can choose to look at the things that are true, the things that are pure, the things that are admirable and praiseworthy and excellent. We can choose to seek out those things and focus on those things. And when we do that, especially with people that we are having conflict with, then we start to see them differently 
And if we do this in our lives in general, we start to see the world differently and it helps our attitude. Let's talk about ministry trials. How do we keep our morale up with ministry trials? It's one thing to have conflict in church. It's another thing to deal with stepping out in faith to do something great for God and have it not exactly work the way that you thought it would. How many people have done that where you stepped out to do something and then it just didn't quite happen? Difficulties came. Hardships came. Things didn't work. There's burnout Ministry failures, there's mean people that criticize everything that you do. You know, there's these deep learning curves. There's a lot of stuff to learn. And so it's difficult. There are ministry trials. Let's look at a couple of different verses. One of them is happy and awesome. And the other one helps us to find the center of the road with this. 1 Corinthians 15 58, tremendous verse. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Amen? Why would Paul have to say that? Because when we're laboring for the Lord, a lot of times it can seem like nothing is getting done. Like it's just pointless and who even cares anyway? This is one of the big, big devil's schemes is to get people to think that the thing they're doing doesn't make any difference. Well, guess what? You know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Don't believe the lie that what you're doing is not meaningful and purposeful. The harvest may come two generations later, provided the Lord tarry. But your work is not in vain because the harvest doesn't come if the workers ahead of time don't do their part. So you may not see the harvest, you may not see the results, but the work is getting done. It's not in vain. And then we see Matthew 15, verse 9, where Jesus is yelling at the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious people. He's good for that. Matthew 15, verse 9, Jesus is quoting from the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament, and he says this, They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. He says all their religious stuff is worthless. It's not getting anything done. It's just a bunch of rules. It's just a bunch of people stuff. Have you ever seen church not be about God, but just be about people stuff? Not helpful. That's this. And so whenever I read verses like this, I don't think to myself, yeah, those jokers, they really did mess that up. (laughs) I'm glad I, I think to myself, hmm, how can I make sure that this does not apply to me? How can I make sure that they worship me in vain, their teachings are but rules taught by men, does not apply. Because I think it can still happen today. And then your labor is in vain. And I don't want my labor to be in vain. Amen? Because that hurts morale. Because nothing's getting done. How can we make sure that our labor in the Lord 
is not in vain. Let's look at John 15 verse 5 and it will give the answer. I am the vine, Jesus says, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Have you ever tried to serve God by stepping out on your own and doing something for him, not with him? <laughs> That's a disa- I've done that. It's a disaster. You're just out on your own. Abide in the vine. Stay connected with the Lord. Then it's your labor in Christ is not in vain. When we stay in prayer, we stay humble before God, we stay teachable, we learn and grow and ask God to give us wisdom and show us how to do things, then we are laboring in the Lord and it is not in vain. But when we've got a great idea for how things should be and so we just go off on our own and go do it, then it's just our labor. It's not our labor in the Lord. And our labor in the Lord is never in vain. So stay connected with the Lord. Keep your relationship with Christ strong and he will guide you and the spirit will be with you and you will be able to claim 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. I'm going to invite the prayer teams up. I got a two scripture close for you. Yeah, we're gonna, we got two scriptures left. So I'm going to call them up. And it was going to be a, like an extra minute here. So when it comes to ministry trials, stay connected with Christ. And even if you don't see the harvest yourself, you know your labor's not in vain. When it comes to conflict, focus on the good things. Be training your eyes to see the right things. It doesn't mean that you're pretending that things aren't the way they are, but you're focusing on thinking about the good things. Those are just a couple of things that hurt morale. There's a whole lot of other things. How do we keep our morale up in all circumstances? You know, maybe neither one of those things applied to you. How do we keep our morale up in other circumstances? We're going to go back to Philippians 4. We're just going to skip verse 9 and go to verse 10. So verse 8 was the, you know, if anything is true, if anything is pure, if anything is praiseworthy, focus on these things. Then verse 9, now we're in verse 10. Let's go to verse 10, Philippians 4. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. The Philippians had sent an offering to Paul to help him uh, because he was in need. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need. He's not saying it because of the need. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Wouldn't that be a great thing to learn? Verse 12. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. He's learned a secret. I want to know that secret. Verse 13. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Now, that's as close to covering the secret as he gets in this chapter. I want a whole chapter. I want a book on that secret. You know, Paul, 
Keep talking, man. But he says, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. I can have peace in this storm through him who gives me strength. I can be content in all circumstances. And I think that the secret is more expressly stated in Hebrews 12, 2 and 3. The secret to being content in every and all circumstances is contained in Hebrews 12, 2 and 3. Let's look at these two verses. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith. For he, I'm sorry, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So, we are to fix our eyes on Jesus. He came here to this world for one reason because he loved us and he wanted to set us free. He didn't need to come here. You know, God could have just said, wow, this was a mistake and blown up the earth and been done with us. He doesn't need us. But instead, Jesus came, became a person, lived the difficulties of this life. He suffered greatly. And so we, as we go through this life, we can fix our eyes on all kinds of different things. And again, I believe in understanding reality. We're not hiding from reality. But we can fix our eyes on Jesus. And then we won't grow weary and lose heart. When we fix our eyes on the political climate, we fix our eyes on what that person did wrong, we fix our eyes on the uh, imperfections of this group or that group. Instead, we fix our eyes on Jesus. And we know what he's been through and his love for us. And then we will not grow weary and lose heart. So as we pray, as we close, let's fix our eyes on Jesus. Then I'll invite people up for personal prayer. When you come up for personal prayer, it doesn't matter what the need is. Come get prayer. I've been hearing great reports of fantastic things God has been doing here in prayer with the prayer teams. Come get prayer. If you want to start a relationship with Jesus, come get prayer. If you need a physical touch from God, you need a relationship healed, you need a financial miracle, you need a blessing of some kind, a uh, heart healing, come get prayer. But let's pray together first and let's fix our eyes this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do honor you in this place. And Lord, there are so many dark things to fix our eyes upon in this world. Lord, let us not be oblivious. Let us be wise. Let us be uh, understanding. But Lord, let us fix our eyes on you. Let us see your love for us. Let us see your sacrifice for us. Let us see your purpose and your plan that we will not grow weary and lose heart. So Lord, help us to fix our eyes upon you, to know your love and to share your love. And Father, I pray that your blessings would be upon us. 
Lord, that you would heal our hearts from the hurts that we've experienced, that you would strengthen us to believe in your purposes, that your kingdom may advance and that good things can happen, that people will receive your gospel and grab hold of it. Lord, help us to have a high enthusiasm for your things. And Lord, I just pray that your peace and your joy would be in each one of us here. And Lord, that your love would overflow through us into our world and reach every person that needs to know that your love is there. So Lord, move through us in that way. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.